Welcome to the New Hope Leeward podcast. Well, good morning, New Hope Leeward. Hey, if you're here in person, can you make some noise for our online family? Let them know that you're here today. Thank you for joining us here at Coppola. Those of you joining us online, wherever you're watching from, we're so glad that you're here. My name is Josiah. I'm the senior pastor here at the church. And today we're continuing on. This is actually the halfway mark of our series, Rags to Riches, where we're going through the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis together. I love this story because I love a good underdog story. And I think this is because I was born in the mid-80s and I grew up in the 90s. And I feel like this era put out some of the best like underdog movies of all time. And so before, uh, before we move on today, I just want to share with you my, my top three. And some of you are going to have opinions of ones that should have been on the list, and you'll tell me at the door, and I don't really care, because my list is the best list. And let's start with number three, okay? Right here, number three, you know, I got to go with Mighty Ducks, okay? Not even a question. Now, this movie, um, classic 90s movie where you have it, they did it for like every sport, right? They did Little Giants, they did like a soccer one. So you have kids that are bad at a sport, you have a, a coach with a troubled past and a heart of gold, and a montage happens, and then they're champions. And this gave me very unrealistic expectations of what team sports was like. When I played ASO soccer, it was not like that. We were terrible at the beginning of the season, and we were terrible at the end. You know what I mean? Okay. So uh, number two, okay, you know I got to go with, I have to go with the Sandlot, okay? Some of you are like, this should have been number one. I feel that um, movie is a bunch of kids, hit an autograph ball over a fence, got to get it back from a big dog and James Earl Jones. Amazing film. I want you to finish the line, okay? I'm going to give you the line, and I want you to finish it. Last service, nailed it, okay? Don't let me down, okay? You ready? You're killing me. Smalls, okay, very good. Not enough enthusiasm, but okay, we passed, okay? I want to give you one more. Now, this is not just my top underdog movie. This is the top movie of all time. Like, all time ever, I will fight you in the parking lot after church. I don't care. This is the one, and I got to go with mid-80s. I got to go with The Goonies, okay? Yes, yes, okay? Amazing film. Uh, fun for the whole family, okay? This is what 80s movies were like, 80s family movies. These kids are trying to keep their town from being turned into a country club, so they hunt down pirate treasure while being chased by murderers. Like, this is what the movie was about. And um, I, 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 want you, I want you to finish the line, okay? Last service, they got it, but they were, like a, they were like a half second late, okay? I want you to finish the line, and please, like, please don't let me down I will find a new church, okay? So don't let me down. Don't let, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Okay, don't let me down. Okay, finish the line. Hey, you. Okay, okay, good, good, good. Okay, that was very good. That was very good. That's very good. Okay, uh, the fact that there's somebody at home yelling guys at their TV right now gives me so much uh, life. I love, I love underdog stories, and the story of Joseph very much plays out like one. It starts out kind of at this high point in the beginning. He's a favored son from a favored family. And God gives Joseph these dreams that he will one day rule over his brothers. Then comes the low. We've talked about that the last two weeks. His brothers plot to kill him, and instead they sell him into slavery, and he becomes a slave in Egypt for a man named Potiphar. And life gets a little bit better for a short moment for Joseph. God blesses him and blesses Potiphar's house, and Joseph rises up to the second in command until Potiphar's wife, we talked about that last week, takes a liking of Joseph and brings forth a false, uh, false allegation 
and Joseph is suddenly thrown into prison. We ended with this point last week, and it's going to be the main point of today. You can go ahead and you can write this down. Remain faithful right where you are. This is what we see Joseph do. We see him remain faithful in Potiphar's house. We see him, we ended with him remaining faithful in prison, where now he actually uh, serves the prison warden and he's helping all the other prisoners, even he as he is a prisoner himself. Remain faithful right where you are. And I, I said this last week, but gosh, I want to say this every single time, especially in the, the day and age that we live in right now. Remain faithful right where you are does not apply to you if you are experiencing spousal abuse or abuse of any kind. I never want you to hear from the pastor and say, well, pastor said I got to remain faithful. This is for you and I that you're in a trial, you're in, you're in troubles right now, you're in a situation that maybe just feels unfair to remain faithful right where you are. We're gonna see Joseph do that again today. We're gonna to walk through chapters 40 and 41. It is a lot of verses, and I know you gotta eat, and I know I do too, so what we're gonna to do today, I'm gonna to paraphrase large chunks of it, and then we'll read large, large chunks of it together, and then we have a little bit of time carved out at the end that we're gonna end with a short time of worship today. So let's jump in. Uh, first verse of chapter 40. It says this, sometime later, so some time has passed since Joseph has been in prison. The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. Again, that's Potiphar. So Potiphar, Joseph's house that he lived in, he must have a prison attached to his house in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. So the chief baker and the cupbearer are thrown into prison and it's not an accident they are there. They are not in jail right now because they offended uh, Pharaoh. They are in jail to actually meet Joseph. This is a divine appointment. They're put under Joseph's watch and Joseph attends to them, meaning Joseph actually serves them. And we'll come back to that. Paraphrasing ahead. One day, the baker and the cupbearer look sad. Joseph cares enough to ask them why. And they both had these really vivid, kind of crazy dreams. And so they tell them to Joseph and Joseph actually interprets them. I'm not gonna give you the dream, but I'll give you the interpretation, okay? So the cupbearer goes first, tells Joseph his dream. Verse 13, this is the interpretation. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when it all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews and even here I've done nothing to deserve being put in this dungeon. Okay, so cupbearer gets a really good interpretation. The baker's listening, he had a dream too, Baker's like, sweet, let me tell you my dream, Joseph, and tell me how I'm going to get out of prison really soon. So he tells him the dream. This is Joseph's interpretation of the dream. Verse 18. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift your head and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat your flesh. And the baker's like, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I just like, gets the worst interpretation ever. The, the chapter ends with everything happening just as Joseph said. 
cupbearer is restored to his position. Baker is executed. And the cupbearer, Joseph said, don't forget about me, bro, forgets about him for two more whole years. Okay, let's pause the story. You can write this down. We are often tested in the simple before trusted with the grand. You and I were often with God. We're, we're tested in the simple before trusted with the grand. Luke 16, 10, Jesus says this, he who can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. Meaning he will give us opportunities to be faithful in small ways before giving us opportunities to be faithful in large ways. And Joseph passes the test better than I would have. Because Joseph is faithful in the house of Potiphar. Potiphar gets rich off just having Joseph in his house. False accusation is brought. Joseph is thrown into prison. I don't know about you, but by the time I got to prison, I'd be a little burnt out on helping people at that point. I'd be thinking, you know what? I'm going to look out for myself. I ain't helping nobody. Don't ask me to do anything. And yet we see Joseph again. He's in prison. He serves. He's faithful. And he seeks to be a blessing. He attended to the cupbearer and the baker. In the Hebrew, it's sharath. And it actually means he served. It means that he ministered to them. And if he sat in the prison sulking, thinking about those dreams that God gave him all those years ago, if he just waited for God to use him in the grand ways, I don't think that day would ever come because he wouldn't be faithful in the simple. True story, uh, Pastor Wayne Cadero is kind of a spiritual father of this church. He helped plant this church some 19 years ago. Just a quick show of hands. Who's seen Pastor Wayne uh, preach before? Can you? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, funnier than me, better looking than me. Like he, like, he sings like a Disney prince in the middle of his sermon. It's not even fair. So Pastor Wayne, um, he used to do this thing. This is absolutely true. When young, like, young talented hotshots would come to him, and say, Pastor Wayne, I want to preach. Pastor Wayne, I feel like God has called me to be a pastor. He'd say, okay, can you show up on Monday? I need you to scrub the toilets in the church. Or the other thing he would have to do, is both and, the other thing was, come and do devotions with me. We're going to read the Bible together. It was the most ungodly hour ever. It was like 5 a.m. in the morning. And you got to imagine how many guys did not show up to do one of those two things. But he wanted to see if they were going to be faithful with that, then they could be faithful with this. They could be faithful in the simple and the small things, and they could be trusted with the grand. I think you and I, we all want to be used by God in great ways. Whether you are newer in your faith or you've been in the faith for a while, everybody wants the same thing. We always say, I want God's plan for my life. And we kind of always tend to treat it like this unknown that exists somewhere off in the future. Many times you and I are discontent with our position or we're discontent with our platform or we're discontent with where we are right now. So we look for God's plan kind of off in the distance, setting our heart over the horizon rather than the here and now. But can I tell you this, and this is so very, very important. His purpose for your life doesn't exist off in the future. It exists right now. He didn't die for some future version of you, some better, more talented, more faithful version of you. He just died for you. 
And so his plan, his purpose for your life, it's not something that's out there far in the distance. It exists right now. Where you work, your friends, your marriage, your home, your kids, the neighborhood that you live, the neighbors that you have, whether you love them or hate them, there's a reason that they're there. The spaces that you occupy, just like for Joseph, it wasn't an accident that he was in that prison. And for the chief uh, cupbaker, or sorry, the cupbearer and the baker, it, it wasn't an accident that they were there too. And so Joseph just serves them. If you hear any one thing from this entire message, I pray that you would hear this one thing. If you want God's plan for your life, you want God's plan for your life, and I believe you do, then serve those that he has placed in front of you. Don't look for something greater, something grand. What's next? Serve those that he has placed in front of you. And there's never going to be a good time. So if you say, wait till my finances get a little bit better. I'm going to wait till life slows down, have a little bit more time. I'm going to wait until this happens. I, I, I have found this now 37 years young. I have found that life never just kind of slows down. Amen especially when you keep having kids like I do. Like it never, it never slows down. And so there will never be a good time to not think about yourself. There will never, there will never be a good time. The time to do it is now. And God is not looking, when it comes to his plan for your life, he's not looking for the talented, he's looking for the humble. He's not looking for those that crave the grand, but those that will serve in the simple. Let's go back to the text. So now we're on to a new chapter. So Pharaoh begins to have kind of some weird, very vivid dreams now. And we're going to get to hear his dream, but let's look at what happens after first. Genesis 41, verse 8. In the morning, says Pharaoh, his mind was troubled. So he sent for all the magicians and the wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them, uh, no one could interpret them for him. So skipping ahead quickly, and then we're going to slow down. So he's trying to figure out these dreams. He's bringing everybody in to interpret these dreams. The cupbearer is like, oh yeah, there's this dude in prison two years ago told me my dream. Maybe we should go get him. They take Joseph, they clean him off, they shave him, and they bring him before Pharaoh. And just as quickly as he was sold into slavery, now he is standing in the palace. Okay, verse 15. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard that it's said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Look at verse 16. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. All right. If you've been with us this entire series, we've only been in this series for three weeks. Let's appreciate some good character development for a moment, okay? Week one, Joseph walks around with his special coat that his dad made him, touting about these self-glorifying dreams to his brothers. Week two, he's working in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife tries to sleep with him. He refuses, okay, totally faithful there. But then he goes into this long explanation about how everything's been entrusted to him and nobody in the house is greater than he is. And now here he is. Many years have passed at this point. And this is his shot. Like if you think about it, this is the moment that he has been waiting for. It's his opportunity standing before Pharaoh. This is the guy who could get him out of prison, get him free. So this is his audition. It's his moment to show what he's made of. 
to show that he has value to Pharaoh. And instead he says, I can't do it. I can't interpret your dream, but God can. The hungry, self-centered go-getter that we knew in the past weeks, he's gone. And it's, he's, he's replaced by this humble man. As we said in the first week, there was a work that God does in us in our trials. And there was a work that God had to do in Joseph before this point, because the Joseph in the pit was not ready to be the Joseph in the palace. He was too prideful. The Joseph in Potiphar's house was not ready to be the Joseph in the palace because he was too wrapped up in his position. And finally, even, even the Joseph in prison at first, he was not ready to be the Joseph in the palace because he would need to perfect his craft of interpreting dreams. Point is this, 13 years go by from when he's sold into slavery to when he goes into Pharaoh's service. 13 years. And you and I, we only get to read the high points. But there were days, weeks, months, and even years in which Joseph probably felt like God was doing nothing. And yet we can look at this story and see the entire time that God is at work behind the scenes. Would you say amen? And then you have to apply it to your own life. And understand that if you're in this low point, you're in this pit where you don't see God is at work right now, we know that in the same way he's working behind the scenes for Joseph, preparing him, that God is doing the same thing for you and I. Let's jump back in. Verse 17, we get to hear Pharaoh's crazy dream. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile. When out of the river came up seven cows, fat and sleek, they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. He has two dreams. So the second dream I'll paraphrase for you. It's the exact same. So you have seven heads of grain that are nice and full, and they're followed by seven other heads of grain that are scorched and withered. And in the same way, the withered grains swallow up the good grains. Okay, verse 25, Joseph interprets the dream. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years. And so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. So God is warning Pharaoh, there's going to be seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine. Verse 33, Joseph says this, And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Now notice here, I, I really appreciate, again, I really appreciate how far Joseph has come because I feel like the Joseph from uh, 13 years ago or maybe even five years ago would have said, look for a discerning guy and look no further because I'm your man. You know, like, I feel like he would have went into that. And you don't see that here. And this is me just kind of interpreting the text and kind of spending this time with this guy, Joseph, in these past, uh, these past last weeks. I, I don't think he was looking for a job here. And I almost feel like he's been through so much 
I feel like it's even possible that he forgot all about his dreams. That he feels like after he does this, he might very well get sent back into prison. He's gotten his hopes up before. But for Joseph, all this time, all this time that he was administrating in Potiphar's house, all this time that we see him administrating in the prison, it actually prepared him for this moment because he opens his mouth and he just kind of spouts out this plan. Verse 34, this is Joseph. He says, let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. Here's what I'm saying. If you're taking notes, you can go ahead and you can write this down. Your current post may simply be preparation. Now, he didn't realize this. It might have just looked random for him to be in Potiphar's house and then to be in the prison. But you see him, God's preparing him. Not not just refining him through difficulties, but he's preparing him even with wisdom and skill and knowledge. He's preparing him for this moment. And so we have to understand our, our current post and we don't want to become so consumed with what comes after that we're just like, I need to get through this so I can go to grander things. But your current post may be preparation for something else. Everything Joseph went through prepared him for this moment. Without the trial, he would have never had the humility. Without the faithfulness, he would have never had the favor. Without the patience, or sorry, well, the patience, without the practice, he would have never had the skill. And I've seen this to be true for my own life. I first felt God's calling on my life when I was 22 years old. I didn't feel, I was a pastor's kid and um, I, was not, I was not into the whole God thing when I was younger. But 22, I, I, all of a sudden, I, I was coming back to the Lord and I felt this calling and it was that I was gonna be a youth pastor, my brother's church in Ventura, California. And, and I, I landed a paid internship. And so I left everything, shipped like what little stuff I had up there I think my most like prized possession was like a skateboard and an Xbox 360. It was like the two, <laughs> those two most important things, brought those with me. Move up there. And um, by the time I get to Ventura, the church is like, oh, by the way, we can't pay you anymore, but you can, you can serve for free. And I was like, cool. So I got a different job and I started serving in youth ministry. I did it for two years. So for two years, I got copies. I made, I, I, uh, I got copies, I got coffees, I, I got to preach a little bit. I just did whatever was asked in my brother's youth group. After two years go by, I feel like, you know what? It's time for me to now go home. Like maybe I heard God wrong. Maybe I wasn't supposed to be a youth pastor, but God did some good things. So I'm just gonna go home. And right before I do, I land this job at this uh, small church, one town over in this little town called Port Wainimi, California. Now Port Wainimi is a little bit of, it's kind of a rough town. There's like a lot, there's a lot of tattoo shops, a lot of liquor stores, areas you're not supposed to go to. So for this youth group, the pastor, this is not a joke, he wanted to hire for the kids either an ex-Mexican gangster or a skateboarder. So obviously he went with the Mexican gangster, okay? So I just got it. So he hires me because I skateboard. And it's crazy. It's like this whole God thing. That had like 150 applicants, two years of searching, 
They hire my dumb self. I have no like experience whatsoever. I should not be in charge of kids at this point. And I land this job and I start out in my calling. This is my calling now. I'm ready. It's everything I prayed for, everything I wanted. And I take over this youth group of 12 kids. And it quickly grew to 20, even though I didn't want it to grow because the kids were driving me nuts. 20 kids, and they had just been kind of fed by, by this volunteer, fed meals, and they played games for the last two years. So here's me, my little handwritten sermon that I'd worked on all week. And I sit down with the kids, and I go through my sermon each week. And each week, they sleep through the message, they talk through the message, they sit on their phone, and every week I drive home. This is true. I drive home, and I call my fiance, who's now my wife. I call her. She's all the way back in Hawaii. I call her crying, and I tell her, I'm done. I'm done. This is not what I thought it was going to be. This is not what God has for me. The kids don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. I'm done. I'm coming home. Every Wednesday night, every Thursday morning, I'd stop feeling bad for myself. I'd wipe the dried tears off my face, and I'd do it again and again and again and again. And I did that for three and a half years. Now, praise God, it wasn't awful for three and a half years. After six months, God really transformed that youth group. He transformed me. For three and a half years, I was there. My wife and I, we have our first kid. We have our, we're, she's pregnant with our, our second kid. And um, she goes through intense postpartum depression. So we come back to Hawaii, not because life is super good. We come back to Hawaii because we can't do it anymore. We can't make ends meet. We can't figure it out. We come back to Hawaii and I was prepared to be done with ministry. It's like, I'm done. I'll, I'll do whatever I need to do to take care of my family. And I end up getting hired at this little church on the west side. You probably heard of it called New Hope Leeward after about a month. Two and a half years, I do high school ministry here. High school ministry, life stages. I do a kind, of a, kind of a bunch of different things here. Two and a half years, and things got really bad here at the church. Our lead elder, Mike Ward, is, is right over there. I tried to quit in 2015, and it was just me weeping for 30 minutes <laughs> with Mike and just telling him that I, I, I've heard God, I need to go. I landed, I landed that, that church that first didn't pay me in California. I landed that job. I was going to move. God said no. A couple months later, our senior pastor burns out, and I step in as the lead pastor. Four years later, I step in as the senior pastor. Okay, I want to I say all this, because I could, I could go on for like hours and hours and hours about this. I say all of this to say, not look at me. I say all of this to say, look at God. Amen? There were so many times I felt like God did not see me. I felt like his hand was off of me. I felt like he was mad at me. Postpartum depression with my wife not being able to make ends meet. Like, I, I, just thought, I just thought I had angered him in some way. I felt like more of a loser and more of a failure most of the time than, than I felt like I was actually winning. And now I look at this story and, and just countless times I wanted to quit. Countless times I tried to bail out. And I'm so glad that I didn't at any point because if I did, I don't think I'd be standing here before you today. I don't think I would. And I didn't faithfully walk through this journey. I stumbled, I fell, I tumbled, I tried to turn around, I yelled at God because he was giving me the wrong directions. I felt like I heard him and I was gonna go this way and it was messy. And even though life is messy 
And even though, you know what, a lot of times we're pretty messy, our God is so good. Would you say amen? He is so good. He is so faithful. And there were so many times that I, I only had enough faith to stay. I only had enough faith to keep going. And it was in those spaces that God met me there. And now I can see, I can look back and see that there was all these times that God was preparing me for something else. Let's finish off reading and paraphrasing this chapter to set up Pastor Alec for next weekend. And we'll have a short time of worship. I'll I'll pray us into that time. But let's look at verse 37. So after he tells his plan to Pharaoh, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there's no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. So Pharaoh makes this moment, like he goes from pit to pinnacle. Pharaoh makes him second in command. He, uh, puts a ring on his finger right after this so that Joseph can stamp letters and they're directly from Pharaoh. He puts gold on him and he puts a robe on him. Now this must have been a surreal moment for Joseph to have another robe put on him that meant significance, it meant favor, it meant position. But unlike the robe that was ripped off of him by his brothers, unlike the robe that was ripped off of him in Potiphar's house, this one will not be stripped from him. He goes from the pit to the pinnacle. And so here's where I want to leave us today as we go into worship. If, if I could give you like one, I'm trying to think of like, how, like just one like sliver of advice. There's somebody who has been through so much with the Lord, good and bad, and it, it, would, it would simply be this. You can write this down. Don't bail before breakthrough. I know you want to. I know discouragement. I know it calls you. I know it is easier to run. I know it is easier to give up. I know it is easier to choose failure. Don't bail before breakthrough. And when I say breakthrough, you got to understand this because that word breakthrough is thrown around a lot in the Pentecostal church. Your breakthrough is coming. It's coming next week. It's coming next week. You know, like that whole thing. It's coming. But you know what? I'm going to say this. I think it's very important. Your breakthrough might not look like God's breakthrough. Breakthrough doesn't mean that God does whatever you want. Joseph would have written his story differently. I would have written my story differently. But I am thankful that God did not give me every breakthrough that I wanted. I am thankful that he did not answer every prayer that I wanted. Because again, I would not be standing here before you today. And Joseph would not be standing before Pharaoh. So breakthrough sometimes just means that God shows up. Sometimes it just means that we get renewed strength, renewed wisdom, renewal to just keep going. And sometimes, like in the story of Joseph, sometimes breakthrough does really mean that everything changes in a moment. And that's what we're contending for. We're going to worship here together today. And we're going to sing that song, Waymaker, together. And what I, what I love about this song is it takes my eyes off of everything that I'm going through 
and it fixes them back on the Lord. The reason why we sing to him and we say, you're the way maker, the miracle worker, God is not in heaven, like self-conscious, like, oh my gosh, thank you guys for telling me that today. Like he doesn't need that. But we sing it out to him because you and I need to be reminded deep within our soul. So worship is this really beautiful thing where we're made aware of a God who has been present the entire time, a God who is present on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, not just Sunday mornings. But it's this opportunity for you and I to lift our face again and remember who is with us. Would you stand with me? And if you're at home, would you remain with us online and would you sing with us today? I'm going to pray us into this time. We're just going to worship together for a couple minutes and then I'll pray us out. We can go. But I want to give you a chance to just respond with the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord God, you are here. Wherever here is right now. So we know that you're here with us in this room. But even for those that are watching online, sitting in our living room, maybe in our car, standing in our kitchen. Lord, you're there too. We can't escape your presence. We can't escape your spirit. And so, Lord, this is all I pray for in this time because breakthrough is going to look different for all of us. It's going to come through in different times. Obviously, I pray that we would be faithful to see that breakthrough come to pass. But, Lord, I just pray in this moment that we would feel your presence. Sometimes that's all that we need. We just need to know that whether we are in the pit or we feel like we're in Potiphar's house and it's unfair, or we're in the prison and nothing makes sense so we don't deserve it. Sometimes, Lord, the only thing that we need to know is that you are there with us. And so, God, I pray that as we sing out to you this morning, that you would just meet us here. Just join us here as we are reminded of who you are. Take our face off the floor. Get our mind off every single thing that we gotta do after this. Get our hearts off of our own discouragement. Would we lift our face and would we see nothing but you? We love you, Lord. You are here. Make yourself known. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship. We hope you were blessed by this weekend sermon. If this is your first time joining us, we welcome you to check out our website, newhopeleeward.org, to learn more about us and how you can get connected into our ohana. We hope you'll join us again soon.